0: Hello everyone. It has been a while since we published an episode, and uh, that is because well, I procrastinated. It was (laughs) nothing to do with Keegan. And then the excuse is that we were really busy uh, hosting meetups in organizing and hosting meetups in India, and then traveling. Um, And then before that, we had a couple of back and forth with the visa office because we're both here on tourist visas and. There was just a, a challenge with getting that extended. It was hectic. It was it was just really hectic, and we didn't prioritize this uh, podcast episode. Um, We're also
1: planning something new for the future, which we will talk about in future episodes. But for oh, the time being, I, actually,
0: I think we should talk about it in this one. Oh, okay. Yeah. Let's, Go ahead. So you know, just to let our audience know that, um, well, for one, thank you, Ojo Isaac, for. Nudging me, or actually getting to, messaging me and saying, "Hey, so there hasn't been an episode in a month that really motivated me to get this whole setup together one day before we leave for Canada in the midst of packing uh, to release this episode that we recorded with Jamie King uh, about a month and a half, two months ago, and um, and two, it's because. All of you who are listening, who are diehard Bitcoiners, might have the criticism that GoFull Crypto is not a name that properly depicts the mission that we're on. There's many ways to look at it. Um, Brad put it, real Brad Mills, who we love a lot. A shout out to Brad and his podcast, Magic Internet Money. He said that we're like a Trojan horse for Bitcoin because we attract the crowd thinking that we're going to talk about all the other cryptocurrencies that are out there. But then we just kind of talk about how Bitcoin is money and how we live our life comp- Completely, or at least like 90% outside of the traditional finance system, uh, ecosystem. So, we've received a lot of, well, I can't say a lot, but a little bit of criticism. Yeah. And a couple of suggestions on changing the name of our podcast from GoFold Crypto to something else that has the word Bitcoin in it, or at least something that doesn't have the word crypto in it. And so. <laughs> I thought you'd have something to say.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, we have we own GoFull Bitcoin, but we don't really know if that's, uh, that's the direction a- that we're going to take things it- in. But we are going to continue podcasting. We're going to have another show. We just don't know what that th- that's going to look like at this current place and time but one thing is for sure we're gonna sunset the go full crypto podcast around the hundredth episode this is what episode 96 or 97
0: i think it's 97 right so, so two, two or three more
1: two or three more and then we're going to bring this podcast to a close and start a new journey uh, for a couple of reasons um like i think it's pretty safe to say that the world has transitioned into a different state different period in time there's a lot of discussion and criticism uh, around Bitcoin itself, and we feel like the Bitcoin community needs us more than um, than the crypto community, let's not, say.
0: Not that we were um, doing anything for the crypto community in general, but again, it's, it's a word of nuance, right? Like, if you're on Bitcoin Twitter and are among the Bitcoin folk, they're going to say Bitcoin and crypto are different, which... Which we agree to, but to circumstantially, m- circumstantially, because to me, Bitcoin is just money, like, there is no comparison, right. So, I was thinking about this yesterday, Keegan. That, um, if, if someone claims themselves to be a Bitcoin maximalist, that means they think that there is a competition to bitcoin that there is something to be a maximalist on right but if bitcoin is money and you believe it then that's it like y-
1: whereas we think the competition's over bitcoin's already won the competition of being the Th- best there money. is no competition there is no competition like
0: cryptocurrency is not money it's just currency and currency is different from money there's social currency and all sorts of other currencies kindness is a currency so there's cryptocurrency but Bitcoin is just money. Anyway, we we digress. So like Egan said, we're going to bring this podcast, Goforcrypto crypto podcast to a close. We actually, I was going through some of the reviews on Apple Podcasts the other day and someone left a really wonderful review. I don't have it right in front of me to read it out. But one question that they asked was uh, whether or not we were sponsored and we're not sponsored by anybody else. This entire endeavor was self-sponsored. We just used... Profits from our business or revenue from our business to do this because we wanted to do it. We love discussing things, and it has
1: been super worthwhile.
0: It has been worthwhile because we go- we got to reach so many people, and um, you know, for me, it was if you can if you can help change one person's perspective on money or and disillusion them, then we've succeeded. And we
1: have succeeded. We've yeah. had dozens, if not. Uh, tens, dozens, maybe even a hundred or two people reach out to us and say, thank you for opening my eyes. Thank you for this discussion. You guys have great synergy. Um, Just thank you. And so... We reciprocate that. Thank you for, for listening and providing us with the feedback and giving your time to us to, to tell us how much this, this podcast has impacted you. That actually has meant a lot to us. There's times maybe in like the earlier days when we're like, oh, should we even keep doing this around like episode 20? And then we started to get more feedback and that has been uh, a really compelling factor for us to, to carry the momentum forward and and go right up into 100 uh but now we, we think that we've got a better handle on what this whole podcasting thing is about and and how to engage an audience. And we want to take this in a different direction. So we want you to think about this as an evolution, not necessarily an end to uh, to listening to us. We, we wish and hope that you'll stay with us for our next project, whatever that might be. And... Uh, We hope to create more opportunities for you to engage with us, actually, um, in our new endeavor, whatever that might be.
0: Well, one opportunity is please reach out to us and tell us what you think we can do next or what we can call what we want to do next, because that is equally as important because we we're doing first and foremost, this is because of John Vallis um, and what he the wise words that he shared with us at the El Salvador, the Adopting Bitcoin conference. And he said that he podcasts for himself. When he started podcasting for his audience, he started losing his footing and paraphrasing. But um, then he started getting into the weeds. But when he grounded himself into going back to the roots of why he started his podcast, it was because he was uh, curious to learn from other people about money and about Bitcoin. And um, I think that even with our podcast in the middle, we started doing it for other people, but then uh, kind of came back to the roots um, of why we started doing this podcast in the first place, which is because we love talking to one another and we want to share the conversations that we have with the rest of the world, which is why um we started this in the first place Well, wow, i repeated that
1: it's all good i think that this is a pretty good seven and a half minute intro <laughs> we should uh introduce the the speaker for today yeah. our guest okay. jamie king
0: this is a very cool story um so for those that know jamie king and for those that don't just a quick preview of him he's um he was introduced to bitcoin through the silk road and um well, no. Don't give too much away from okay. the actual okay. episode, okay. Just,
1: cool. uh, just the high level who he is, because he goes okay. into detail about his own story. Okay, I like that. Right, so. okay, yeah, <laughs> so he, he's a movie producer. He, um, he's been lately focusing on uh, trust, freedom, and Bitcoin in general. In 2021, he came out with the movie This Machine Greens, which is um, kind of an ex- expose of sorts on how Bitcoin is not bad for the he environment. He co-produced
0: that with Brad Mills.
1: Right. Yeah, and that's a great 45-minute documentary. Um, His stuff is very consumable, very bite-sized. He's not like the two-hour documentary kind of guy because he doesn't want to lose his audience. And um, he brings his personality, his creativity, um, his his thoughts, his mind, and he, he pours all of that into his documentaries, which really show. Um, And so he's working on a new documentary, um, which you can help fund or you can just stay tuned for when it releases. But uh, we'll let him talk more about that in the podcast.
0: Yeah, and um, just a quick story of what he's going to cover again in the episode he actually produced this film called steal this film and he uh, well open sourced it with um, the ability for people to donate if they wanted to donate the f- donate to the film because they liked it and that was a huge success. He talks about the process of producing that and how that went through along with the podcast that he had also produced. Um, so it, it was a really interesting episode we love talking to Jamie uh, there might be a little bit of disturbance during parts of the episode because there was a, a drilling oh, yeah. <laughs> a drilling happening somewhere outside of where he was because he was in Mexico at the time and uh, hopefully that is not a deterrent to listening to the complete episode so
1: yeah let's dig in and uh, keep, keep listening uh, once again just reach out to us with uh, with feedback notes we want to hear from you because uh, we, we love you we we love it when you give us uh, emails and, and such
0: yeah all right everyone let's begin the episode Hello, Jamie.
2: Hi, guys. So it's Palwe, right? And Keegan? Yeah, always my Is that... last name. Yeah. Oh, it's your last name. Okay. I thought it was the first. <laughs> Is it also a first name or?
0: Uh, not really. It, it's definitely a last name because in India, I mean, um, you know how the, the tribe slash caste system exists. Right. Uh, my yes. last name determines what sort of tribe I come from.
2: Okay. And what's that?
0: Yeah.
2: No, I'm uh, asking it's the been... question.
0: Vanzari. No, no, it's all good. It's Vanzari or in Hindi, it's called Banjara. So uh, historically, we're known to be travelers and voyagers. And uh, there's an English word for it, but I can't remember. Nomad. Not, we're not really nomadic. I think we've all been nomadic at some point, right. uh, but travelers.
1: And I'm from right. the Francis tribe.
2: What do they represent? What do they I actually, represent? actually have
1: no idea. <laughs> <laughs>
0: wow <laughs> and
2: you're the you're you're, you're a king.
0: king yeah who yeah, where are you king, descending
2: from king, well actually king as, as i understand it from the minimal research i've done is from people who used to play kings in the traveling theaters in 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 the uk so they would travel around and the people who played the king in the theater were called king so it's not it's not noble far from it. it's just a sort of shyst <laughs> Scheisse name. <laughs> it's kind of a cool role, though. Yeah,
0: acting king, just in, in a theater instead of... Uh, yeah, it's IRL. Yeah.
2: <laughs> it's very
1: Shakespearean. That's what I was thinking, too. Uh,
0: where in, <laughs> wait, so you're not in the UK right now, though, are you?
2: No, I'm in Mexico.
0: Oh, right on. And what part of the UK were you from?
2: I'm, originally? From, Wales. I'm from Wales, which is a small... Uh, why does that make you laugh? No, 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 We hey, met hey, Ben arc hey, recently.
0: Yeah, Ben, and we did it. We met Ben Ark in um, El, El Salvador, Salvador at the Bitcoin conference, and then okay. we actually met him and his family again when we were in the UK last month. And he is from Wales. So uh,
2: okay, yeah, it's like um where whereabouts is he from? Do you remember?
0: A, uh, I don't remember. It's uh, C C Wish. Uh, mm, I don't Swansea. Know.
2: Swansea. Swansea. Yes, no, that's, Swansea, where that's, that's where I'm from. That's where I'm from. <laughs> well <Wow. laughs> I don't know him. I don't know him. You'll have to introduce us. Cause not that many not that many from do, people from Swansea. It's at the end of the it's literally at the end of the train line. There's nothing after do that.
1: Do you know <laughs> of Ben Ark though? No. Oh, he's uh Yeah he, he works on the Lightning Network. He's building some really interesting we actually have a device of here, his somewhere nearby. Second. Yeah, it'll actually make a cool little segment in our podcast. But um, when you're back in Wales, uh, ask us to set up the introduction because Ben is a fantastic person just in general, and then he's a good person to have in your network if you're, um, uh, you know, right. talking and writing and making films about uh, about Bitcoin like like you do.
0: So he's he's essentially building a software and hardware as well um, to accept Bitcoin via a light. Um, by a point of sale system. So this is essentially a point of sale system. This is slightly on the expensive side, expensive being $15, and this would be around $7. So if someone was to mass produce this for the developing countries, uh, accepting Bitcoin as legal tender, this would be a great point of sale system because you wouldn't have to depend on phones, especially if you're in a restaurant. And
1: it's an offline point of sale system. It works offline, which is remarkable.
2: Okay. How does it, well, I'm not going to go into detail of it, but it sounds, sounds very useful. What a remarkable thing. I mean, Swansea is not, it's not the most happening place, you know, <laughs> you, you got, you got Dylan Thomas, you got Dylan Thomas from Swansea, the, the poet, uh, do not go gently into that good night, rage, rage against the dying of the okay. yeah. He's from Swansea. Uh, Bonnie Tyler, I need a hero. I need a hero of, Till the end of the night, that one. She's yep. from Swansea. I'm catching these uh, references. Burger's not.
0: I'm, I'm blanking out. Uh, uh, and then there's Jamie King. Wait, if, you study,
2: if you study philosophy, then Wittgenstein. Do you know Wittgenstein, the philosopher? Wittgenstein, yep. Do know the name yet? One yeah. of his lovers died in Swansea. <laughs> That's about. It. I mean, it's really like I'm scraping the barrel now. <laughs> uh, but um,
0: well, we're putting Swansea on the map here with with this episode. <laughs>
2: yeah well it's good if there's two, two bitcoiners from swansea that's a good that's a good start so i'm going to look ben up the next time i'm there which is hopefully not going to be soon
0: no <laughs> well he goes around a lot for lots of bitcoin conferences he's going to be in istanbul and then I, th- I think he might be in mexico he said that he was going to attend a lot of um conference bitcoin conferences and to showcase his, the URL. Yeah. so i'll definitely yeah. put you guys in touch and then you can um
2: catch yeah, up will, wherever in the world will. Yeah, that would be cool. I haven't really decided everybody who's going to be in the film yet. So I'm sort of open to ideas. um, Speaking of
0: film, let's talk about that. You produced, uh, or co-produced rather, This Machine Greens. Um, And actually, I do want to get to that, but we love starting our interviews off with giving a backstory of how you discovered Bitcoin or when you got started with it. So when was that?
2: Yeah, I'll give you sort of two answers. There's a kind of personal answer and a business answer to this and the personal answer my personal discovery came first and it involved the fact that i'm i suppose i'm more closely aligned with kind of traditional libertarianism and uh, you know by which i mean not necessarily right-wing libertarian more right-wing more like john Stuart Mill, you know libertarianism i think people should be able to do what they want with their own bodies and um And so, and I, and I have generally done what I wanted with my, with my body. And one of those things involves, uh, experimenting with, 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 um, all kinds of things you can find on the dark, on the dark web. And so I was originally very fascinated with the, with the dark web. Um, and, you know, for example, if you wanted to get weed, which is illegal in the UK, you could go on the dark, dark web very early on. And, uh, it was one of the first places where people were using Bitcoin. And so early on, um, you know, it, I, I think the first time I bought Bitcoin was probably on paper with PayPal on eBay. There was a guy, <laughs> there was a guy selling Bitcoin on eBay and he used to be able to use PayPal to buy, to buy Bitcoin. And it'll, wow. it Wow.
0: It will destroy you. How long you. ago
2: go with this? Oh, very long. It will destroy you to know that. <laughs> I, th- I think my first purchase of Bitcoin was like six hundred, something like that. Six hundred dollars worth? No, six hundred pounds. Six hundred Bitcoin.
1: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're right. That would destroy me a little bit.
2: That I yeah. cringe a little bit.
0: Not well. Not I, me. That's yeah. awesome that you got yeah. into that early. And
2: then yeah, so it was really early. Um, and it was fascinating, you know. And I've often. Thought that you know people tend to denigrate the use of Bitcoin in 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 darknet markets. Um, I mean, as if as if half the population of Britain don't smoke dope. I mean, everybody smokes dope in Britain, um, and yet it remains illegal. It's bananas, and yet people say people denigrate it. But the thing that I find interesting is you've got this market which is naturally antagonistic, right? So it's like you've got dealers that don't trust. The buyers, the buyers don't trust the dealers, and nobody knows who's running the market. I mean, it turned out to be this this sort of antihero, Dread Pirate Roberts, but at the time, nobody knew anything about him. No one trusted him either. And yet, through this combination of encryption, Tor, and this new thing, Bitcoin, it functioned. And to yeah. me, that functioned was really well. yeah. And it was. You know, you could get ripped off, but not because somebody hacked your Bitcoin or not because somebody stole your Bitcoin, but because, you know, something else went wrong. But the whole thing functioned really well. And it, to me, it was an early indication of how important this thing was going to be. Like, it's one thing if you're using Bitcoin to transact in a local store where you know half the people who are coming in, you could be fairly sure to a reasonable level of doubt that they're not going to rip you off. If you're dealing with a drug dealer, the chances that they're going to try to rip you off are relatively high compared to one of those situations. And so the fact that it functioned there was already an indicator was like a, can they call it? a leading indicator. And um, and so, you know, when people denigrate it, this origin, number one, everything begins with porn and drugs. You know, <laughs> yes. especially especially on the internet, you know. And number two, I think it's I think of it more as like a really interesting leading indicator for the future's robustness of internet. So that's of, of Bitcoin. So that's um, that's the personal story which I sort of think I share it with Peter far more famous Peter McCormack I think he has a similar introduction although he's a little bit later so he probably didn't waste as much money as me <laughs> like, you know it's a terrible origin story because if I totted up the amount of Bitcoin I haven't you know retained it would it really can make you quite sick um, and then the second much more serious I, I know, so that sort of got me really interested in it you know and uh <sighs>
0: I wonder why though, because, uh, you know, like there's, there's many schools of people, but then there, there might be one who just used Bitcoin to transact on the internet early on and didn't think too much about it. Um, They just thought, okay, cool. This is what people are using these days to make this sort of transaction. And then there's another kind of people in your part of them where you're like, oh, this is interesting. How does this work?
2: Yeah. Well, you, this is what I, what I was, exactly what I was about to say is that, I, you know, I guess there's a whole lot of personality um, facets that go together, and you know, at that same time. So, in 2006, I made a film called "Steal This Film." There was a film about file sharing, and uh, it was it was a film nominally about the Pirate Bay and about the kind of act, file sharing activities surrounding that. But it was also about the future, po- the possibilities of peer to peer file sharing for creators, and in essence, it was arguing, look. You know, I know you're all saying that, like, one copy downloaded equals one sale not made. This is the Hollywood line, right? You're not buying our DVDs. You're stealing, you know, you're literally drinking our milkshake. You're taking away people's livelihood. And my argument was, what if the capacity for, for example, you guys to make your podcast and, and make it next to nothing in terms of production costs and then distribute it for next to nothing using Zencaster and Anchor or whatever. What if then your ability to reach 10, 20, 30,000 people could turn into a business opportunity for those creators for you that we can't yet perceive? And this was before you, it was just at the same time as YouTube, right? So you've got to remember this is really early days, like I'm getting pretty old now. And um, and, you know, so you're sort of trying to like read the tea leaves, you know, in terms of like maybe there's something coming down the pike. And of course, what was coming was like Kickstarter, Patreon, all these new business models uh, that ride on essentially like free distribution that says, no, I don't want you to buy my DVDs. I don't want one copy equals one sale. Anyway, all of this is to say I was super interested in the possibilities of peer to peer file sharing. And when Bitcoin, when when I saw this thing Bitcoin, I was like, wait, 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 peer-to-peer money. That like, because <laughs> this is the same thing. It, like, it 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 doesn't require anybody. Because what blew my mind about the internet, what blew my mind about peer-to-peer file sharing, was this thing about you didn't have to ask anyone's permission, right? For an for an anarchist, for somebody who has that innate tendency. That fuck you tendency. I don't want to ask you. I, you know, you're gonna love the like. Let me show you the World Wide Web, right? Like it's bananas. You don't have to. You don't have to ask anybody. You can just put a web page up. I mean, I, I was 17 when that appeared. Can you imagine? You're like, oh my, like, oh my god, like that's the was, Holy Grail. Yeah, when I was a kid, you had to go to the library to get books, like the physical library. It's like the world changed so much. But this idea you could make your own website and not have to ask anybody. This idea that you could distribute files, your own files, not just Hollywood copies of Hollywood movies, your own content and not have to ask anyone. And in the case of Steal This Film, we reached like six million people in three weeks or something. I mean, it was completely nuts. And so suddenly you're like, this is, Bigger, like, you know, like, we beat significant... We, we had more downloads than significant Hollywood movies, you know? And you think, this is the beginning of something special. This is something epochal, you know? No, not not our film, but, you know, the general movement. And then, so yep. when Bitcoin arrived, I was like, this is something in the same vein, right? Now you don't need permission to take part in this value network. It isn't, like, backed by the bank or backed by this. It's just... The network, and of course, it's like it's extremely interesting because, like, I'm skipping ahead now, but like now, there's all these clever clogs, these think boys, uh, uh, you know, helping you understand like why Bitcoin is so important. They didn't exist back then, right? And people like me are like, wait, all you think boys, you weren't there, like, because we just had to kind of feel it, you know, like feel it, and to give you an example, what I mean, like, of how profound that can be when the when the domain names like early early on when we were doing what I was doing web stuff in like 95 type of thing we weren't even sure that the domain name system would continue
1: right, right. We were like
2: people were like oh you can buy did you know you can buy wallstreet.com and you'd be like yeah but is anybody going to be still using .com in five years like we weren't wow. sure you know what I mean you weren't sure if that was going to be The piece was going to stay because things came and things went. Like nobody uses Usenet today. Back in the day, Usenet was really serious. You know, Usenet, nobody really uses IRC anymore. Back in the day, IRC was really the big thing. And it was the same. It's the same with Bitcoin, right? It came and you're like, I can see what this is. I can see its its heritage. I can see where it fits into the internet. But at the same time, you weren't 100% sure that it was going to be the thing that was gonna stick, you know? Yeah, and you so, got a bit
1: of a dope, small yeah. nagging voice in the back of your head that's like, well, something's gonna come along that's better. It yeah. has to.
2: Yeah, and so- Just look at MySpace. Well, yeah, although that that's, I often reflect, that's more something that your generation would, that's the thought that you would tend to have because right. it's it like, was because for my generation, most, if you think about Bitcoin as a protocol, most yep. protocols didn't come and go; they just got built on. So there's no That's like right. TCP/IP, you know, Neo. There's just TCP/IP version five point six six or TCP. Everything just gets accret- just accreted. Whereas, where the generation where the web it, it, for you is a fait accompli, right? I saw the web developing like a protocol. For you, the web is the first thing you would have seen; would have been the web, and. Yep. And, and then on the web, you saw products and products yep. come and come and go. And I think that's a mistake that a lot of younger people are liable to make about Bitcoin. Is like I if made you that think, mistake. It's natural, right? You think exactly what you said. Well, MySpace gave way to Facebook, so maybe Bitcoin will give way to Bitcoin Satoshi's vision. <laughs> mean, I'm just you know, but like, <laughs> like uh, if you look at it as a protocol. You could say no. Actually, it's extremely unlikely this will ever go anywhere. This is it now. It's locked. And what will happen is there'll be my, there'll be small innovations over time done by a group of people who are like, you know, not startup people, hardly visible, super clever, not motivated by human <laughs> human desires. Like they're like these strange right creatures that you know. Um, that, you, that just have their own motivations for doing things. These are the people who make internet protocols, and so yeah, these are the people so,
1: that made Linux, for example.
2: It, it, like Linux it, is the
1: biggest it, open source operating system, and it, it was exactly. created where exactly by who exactly? Well, Linus Torvald, but um, the example still stands.
2: It, it, no, totally. Listen, I've spent, I've tried that analogy on people many times. Like Linux is like our pyramids. You know, it's like the, the dist, like it's like a distributed effort that has produced something. Bigger than almost any human enterprise, but what's I it run like ninety eight percent of the internet or something? Yeah, like and, it now, and that the yeah, internet, yeah, totally. And now, if you and now you see like Steam is about to switch to Linux, right through Proton. All those handhelds they're coming out with the Steam, whatever. Yeah. Those are those are Linux driven. So it's like, yeah, but unfortunately, the analogy is lost on like ninety nine percent of normies. Like it isn't a powerful analogy. They're like Linux well <laughs> so don't bother with well, it. I
1: have for those people because like f- from my perspective it was it was about getting rich it was about solving my immediate wealth and financial problems yeah. and then after like i happened to <coughs> be in bitcoin for two years and bitcoin happened to like 20x during that time then it was like okay now that it was like maslow's hierarchy maslow's hierarchy i get that wrong all the time mm-hmm. yeah. um Like once my financial needs were met, I suddenly was able to take a step back and be like, oh, damn, I totally made a mistake by like taking half my stack and investing in like this other thing over here that I thought was the next Bitcoin. But like I first had to have the space to think those thoughts. And before then, it was it was just simply about solving my immediate
2: financial turmoil, which is like the case for most people on the planet. Right. Yeah. And, and well, but uh, I do
0: have a question on that yeah. though. How do you differentiate between a protocol and just dinosaur technology? Because, um, <laughs> uh, you know, with respect to Linux, I think that it there's no comparison between Linux and the technology that our banking infrastructure currently uses, which is oftentimes labeled dinosaur technology, yeah, 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 it sold. It, and uh, it, and the programs that are that were used and there are still being used to build on current traditional banking infrastructure is they're not really migrating to something new i'm not even sure if that's possible or probably very yeah. very expensive yeah but is that just old technology that will uh soon be deprecated which i'm of the opinion mm-hmm. uh, or is it just a you know Akin to being a protocol that they have continuously built on that we're just not aware of.
2: No, I think it's like orphanware, right? And there's a political reason for using the SWIFT network, which is you know the SWIFT network is part of this disciplinary, this disciplinary infrastructure. Um, you know, sanctions and you know economic sanctions and the like are carried out by allowing or removing people from the possibility of being on the SWIFT network. So you don't like what somebody's done in. Venezuela, you can remove them from using the Swift network. So the Swift network is sort of often by design. You know, it's not meant to be interconnected with other things. It's not meant to, It's meant to function as, as a permissioned right network. Um, unfortunately, it's so it's so old that you get these exploits occurring, like this Bangladesh bank hack that they they accuse North Korea of doing. Did you hear about this? Where they nearly stole a hundred and hundred and something million dollars. It would have been the biggest bank robbery in history. And they got away with like twenty or it was done through exploiting this the, the on-ramps to the Swift network through. That's just t- a
1: regular Tuesday on the Ethereum network, though.
2: <laughs> yeah, but on the Ethereum network they can either roll <laughs> it back or they just copy the network and tell you that's the real one. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. so it, it, there's no hacking the Ethereum network. It's like, it's like the I'm matrix, uh, they just go back in I've time. Actually got,
1: <laughs> I've got a different answer from and, and about like dinosaur technology. And I, I think that humans in general will replace infrastructural technology when there's a 10x improvement in that technology. So like one example I'll give from like 120 years ago is like we decided to replace horse and buggy with cars, not because cars were twice as good, but because they were 10 times as good. Right they like as evidence that they were ten times as good, we actually had to he- do a huge infrastructure improvement in america and in and Canada, basically everywhere where cars were implemented to build all the roads and whatnot, same with yeah. electricity, like we could have just kept going with uh, lamps and fires and all the things that we that electricity provides us with yeah. now, but electricity is at least ten times better than lamps and fires, and same with the flip phone, the flip phone is uh one iteration of telecommunication but the reason why everyone has a smartphone now is because it's 10 times better than the flip phone and so like we could sustain ourselves on mainframe technology like the banking infrastructure it's possible i could conceive of it like i can conceive of a world without bitcoin but yeah. now that we live in a world with bitcoin it's not twice as good as bank old like dinosaur banking technology it's 10 times better or at least
2: yeah and it's so also, it's so also like it's be- <sighs> It's it's not just ten times better because that would just suggest like it's just it's merely faster or it merely <laughs> right. it it merely reaches more people. The fact is it's like dimensionally different, right? It like allows yes. different, um, and I think that's like that's the weakness in in the structure of what you're saying because it's like if I'm the lord in the castle uh, and I've got my lovely castle and I've got all the resources in there, it doesn't matter if you've kind of invented some something 10 times better nearby that's like i should adapt i will tell you to fuck off because everything (laughs) inside my castle depends on the state of things being the way they are and not the way your innovation is and that is similar to this so it's like not all innovations you know it's like the tesla thing right they're like nikolai tesla right like you've got this total genius who comes up with all these cool things and it's like 100 years later we're still like but was that another cool thing he came up with that we haven't implemented <laughs> because the structure of the world was not was not such that we could accommodate that the ca- that the the, the, the present the, the contemporary power structure couldn't accommodate those changes or wouldn't accommodate them? Um, you know, I'm sure if you'd said the same thing to Henry Ford, right, and he was in the middle of making tons of money with his cars, if you'd said, "Listen, I've got this automation or I've got this system," he would have said, "Everything's fine. Fu- you know, everything's fine. Please go away. So that's the only pushback I'd have on that is I don't think, I don't think like the, 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 um, I know I heard that the IMF didn't like had an interview with uh, Jack Mathers, but I don't think they're going to like update their paradigm, uh, readily anytime soon. Yeah. <laughs> and that's not, not no, even, not even if it's dimensionally better, you know, because they will look at it and say, well, you know, yes, this allows people to, to, to do what they want with their money. And to be honest, we're going in the other direction. You know, this is not the, this is not the world as, as we would like to see it.
1: Yeah, it's a, definitely a fair critique. Um, the analogy wasn't exactly meant to, uh, to to cover all bases of what Bitcoin (laughs) does and how it transforms the world. Um, But maybe that's the next part of the conversation that we get into. um, Unless Bergakshi wants to take us in in another direction.
2: I just want to to say that the point, the point I was making about TC about DNS and not being sure if this protocol would last, I did have a chance when we were talking about domain names Um, my boss at the time actually said to us at this uh, web design company I was working for if you guys buy a bunch of domains I will pay for you to buy whatever domains you can think of and I'll give you 50% of the sale value uh, if we make money on it later and um, there was like wallstreet.com I remember sex.com was gone there was all kinds (laughs) like all the days of the week most of those were still available and we were like I think money.com might have been a bit, you know, like it's crazy. And we were kind of like, nah, no, one's going to want like this domain. And I ended up with uh, the only one I bought was, was jamie.com. Oh, that's good. Well, so I eventually sold jamie.com for quite a lot of money later on. The point I want to make to you is that, uh, you, we were never certain that, that even that protocol, that seems so basic today, we weren't 100% on it. And that's my excuse why I didn't hold on to Bitcoin, is that we, you know, the very early people, there must be more people like me who were in right at the start, you know, and uh, you just felt like this works for now. But maybe I'm not sure. And that certainty has increased over the years. But unfortunately, you can't go back in time and say, you can't talk to the past version of yourself and say, this protocol is sticking around. So this is by way of explaining why I'm not living in a palace now. <laughs> or a citadel. You yeah, wait, You exactly said a citadel. citadel.
0: You yeah. said you didn't hold on to your Bitcoin.
2: No. And, and, and actually, I started a business. Well, I had a business doing after distribu- after I made Steal This Film, uh, started a business distributing uh, films for free on the internet that was called Vodo. And we, took, we were also probably one of the first people receiving Bitcoin uh, donations. Um, and uh, we just cashed them all out. Like, none of the creators wanted to take Bitcoin either. So they would just, right. we would just. Exp- yeah, we would just exchange them for the dollar value and pay them out in dollars. But it's like you said, you know, people just wanted their immediate needs met and we had a business to run. So and the strange thing is, but I bet you I'm far from the only one, right? For every person who for said, sure. I'm going to keep this, there's like a hundred or a thousand people who traded out. And, uh, you know, I think the brave thing is to carry on engaging with the protocol, even that, even though that's your, your shoulda, coulda, woulda right moment you regret
0: that decision
2: fork in the road yeah sure i mean i've probably <laughs> i probably blew well at least 25 million 45 million dollars i mean in present money i'll give you something even more frustrating if you want when we, were, when we were doing vodo, um so we were distributing but doing what sorry? Vodo, which was our distribution platform, is still for okay. voluntary donations. It was started around the same time, a bit before Kickstarter. And we used to distribute films using BitTorrent for free and then collect donations. And no, and no one was really donating in enough volume to make it viable because the behavior hadn't set in yet. The, the Patreon behavior it was really early days. And so I was like thinking of ways we could make some money and I said oh you know what we should do we should di- we should just de- we should distribute a bitcoin miner uh in the torrent <laughs> package and tell people listen you don't have to donate just run this bitcoin miner because at that time you could run them on your on your gpu you know that's amazing and, i and love wrote, it and we wrote the code uh we using using one of the bitcoin um libraries that's out there and we just, we didn't do it because it made, it immediately made your fan spin up and made the computer get hot. And so we were like, this is just going to piss people off. And we just, <laughs> si- we sidelined it. But to give you an idea, you know, our torrents were reaching, you know, uh, you know, regularly reaching 10 million people. So. Wow. Yeah. So that was, you know, so you, I think if you're active enough in these new developing things, you'll have your moment of like you know, the road less traveled, right?
1: <laughs> it would piss me off to have my fan spin up and then me be a millionaire 10 years later too. <laughs> uh, that'd be really frustrating. Have, oh,
2: they, yeah, yeah, they were, so that for one thing, they would have been mining, but it was like, I guess the concept I'd had without realizing it was like cloud mining, right? Where you, they were sending yeah. the hash power to us. Um, and, and yeah, and, they, and at the time, Bitcoin was worth a very small amount. So it would have, you again, you would have, you would have had to have that level of conviction for years and years and years. And by the way, one of the studies I think someone should do is like to look at the psychological characteristics of people who did have that conviction. Like someone like, someone like Brad, for example, Brad Mills, for example, like what is the characteristics of a person like that who went through all these years? Because Brad was really early as well. And yeah. uh, and didn't sell it and held on to it because when you got to think it like he held on to it when it was a hundred thousand he held on to it when it was five hundred thousand he held on to it when it was I mean, what what is it that that person what is it that that person values because it's not money it's it's something else right and and mm-hmm. mu- and all those people like that that there must be something about them that meant that they like didn't swap it for their immediate needs. You know, they didn't do, they didn't trade it. And that's why they're in the situation they're in now. I find that really interesting. I've never heard anyone talk about it because you've got to remember, there were no think boys. There was no Breedlove. There was no Alan Farrington. There was no, uh, you know, the big guy. What's his name? Name one. Yeah. Right. Yeah,
0: I think the common thread in, in the people that had that sort of conviction is that they knew about the scam that is the, the monetary policy that every country has right now. And uh, we did an episode with Brad, too. We've done two. We've done two. But the second one, we covered his backstory and he talked about how he scammed scammers or, (laughs) uh, in in a sense, credit card companies. And um, even while he was telling his story, the amount of frustration that um, he expressed once he knew what was happening, not only to him himself, but also millions of people all over the world with respective credit cards and the way that they're offered, uh, he just decided to do something about it. And I think that when he discovered Bitcoin, it was an answer to the question that he'd been searching for ever since he found out that the financial system is a scam.
2: That's true. Yeah. I remember Brad's, I mean, this is one of the things people don't know about Brad is he's like he was- pretty good at making money and i think the ways he was trying to make money or the ways he was succeeding in making money were often those places where credit card companies would have been refusing his business shutting him down so on and so. On. Yeah. So on he would have had a different uh impetus into thinking about taking bitcoin for payments yeah
1: he also has a funny backstory of um building facebook games yeah. with like yeah. in current with currencies built in and yeah He tells some funny stories about how like they screwed up making the currency a couple times and overinflated it or like printed too much of it or like distributed, just messed up the tokenomics of that currency, which gives him like a weird in-depth (laughs) first-hand experience of how to screw up currencies, which just just gives him way more ammo, like he's got a ton of ammo for uh, taking down... Uh, shit like shitcoin projects yeah. and Ponzi schemes, yeah. But also like world governments, uh, their their monetary monetary policy. He's he's just got yeah. like a, a huge bag of ammo, uh, yeah. and it's just it's just a riot listening to him sometimes. Yeah,
2: and I just think you know, of course, of course some people are just like. It's, it I mean, it's less interesting to me when when people are just like straight businessmen, or they already started with a bunch of money, because then, as you say, they had their basic needs taken care of. It's less interesting to me. If you held on to a thousand Bitcoin, if you already had fifty million dollars, then it is right. that you held on to a thousand Bitcoin, even when oh, it, it's enough for a, a mortgage on, it's enough for a deposit for a mortgage. Oh, it's enough for a whole house. Oh, it's enough for a house and a Tesla. Oh, it's enough to buy my entire family house, and you still didn't do it. Like what, <laughs> what? What kind of person is that? That's what. And, I, I didn't, and that because I met, I interviewed one guy who's like quite similar to me. Um, you got to remember, it was like the Wild, wild West at the first days of Bitcoin. Like uh, he he had a bunch of PCs in in like a a squat in London, and he had them mining Bitcoin just on the CPU. It was before GPU even. He had a CPU mining, and um, and uh, he I don't know what, what how much money he's worth, but he's held on to all his money, and I think he's like like a decker millionaire. And that, it's the same thing because he just he could have bailed out any time okay with him you could see these people are like less materialist the anarchist squatters they tend to be but you'd think that there might have come a moment where that person will be like hey you know see you guys i'm off to buy a desert island somewhere or you know it's just interesting i find someone should do a study of those early types not least because they're probably going to be uh they're probably going to be much more important in the 10 years yeah. to come. Uh, True. So the, their values will suddenly start to be uh, interesting to people. It's a bit like what happened, like who were the people mine, going west to mine gold? And how did they change American society like in San Francisco? When they came back with all that wealth, what kinds of things did they do? Who were these people? What were their experiences when they were out on the frontier? Like were they violent people? Were they, were they super hardy? Like did, you know, what kinds of people were they? Like, that's just what interests me is like, anyway, whatever. Right? Someone should do that study. but they, You should. <laughs> maybe, or maybe I'll keep talking about it and hope someone else does it. Um, <laughs> you can't. The problem is you have to, like Black Brad is open about being an early bitcoiner and, and having held, but many people are not for reasons that, you know. Well,
0: something that I find really fascinating though is you being so calm collected and um, putting your regrets behind and still doing things for bitcoin on the protocol because you know with the machine greens which is a documentary that we will talk about on on this episode um but you're still you know you're still present with it you're not like you have you're not bitter about. i don't see you being bitter about it and i also don't i don't see you completely just uh uh choosing a different career and different things to talk about and just avoiding talking about it at all which also is a very fascinating i would say personality trait or behavior because you're not you're just living with what happened and not letting it get the best of you
2: yeah exactly and i mean look you know um there there's always opportunity, right? It's like, I made this tweet, like Bitcoin will pass you twice, first as a missed boat and second time as a life raft. And and in a way, I think we're just getting into the life raft phase. But in another way, that's disingenuous. It was meant to cover the kind of tendency people have to say, I've missed that boat and that's over. And say, well, actually it's coming around again and you might just want to hop on because things are going to go to shit. But actually, I think it's a little bit wrong because even the lifeboat is going to be a missed boat for someone else down the road. You know, even the lifeboat. Oh, for sure. And, and so actually, it's just an ongoing opportunity. And I think, you know, I think we're at this stage now where um, there's all this work to do. Like if you add value to the network, the value, you know, I, for example, I made this, machine's, this machine greens with 30,000. Uh, dollars, although I, I didn't spend all of it on the film, but probably spent 20-something thousand. Um, and uh, it reached a couple of hundred thousand people probably. I don't know. I didn't check the stats recently. Um, so not huge, but not small. And I heard lo- lo- lots of people saying that they shared it and t- some people teaching it and
1: on. i think i've linked it like five times in my newsletters it's it's a, it's a great documentary um awesome. i, I want to talk about that now because like yeah um we're 37 minutes in but like it's oh, actually such a huge topic yeah. that i would love to unpack at least in um in some detail um i also want people to just like go watch it because yeah, that's so like we're- this
2: machine greens.com is the is the website so this machine and you can stream it there or you can just go on youtube and search for it for as long as they leave it up there they have a tendency to ban my shit
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes yes they do and even more so now that um, bitcoin is, is sort of coming under fire with um, yeah. like in relation to like the the protests in canada right now like I, yeah. i've got some some worries that um bitcoin is going to be politicized here in the near future and i just don't know what the future looks like for bitcoin i, I think it'll be able to withstand such an attack like
0: it's not but bitcoin it's, it's, but it's we easy. need to be worried about it's actually us whether or not yeah. we can withstand such an attack that's right of our yeah. money is bitcoin
2: yeah it's inevitable i mean financial censorship has been a thing here's a note to 2006 when i first made the uh, first distributed steal this film um I put like a I put like a note at the end of the film on the film itself saying if you enjoyed this film send one dollar uh, and I think it was like peers at stealthisfilm.com dot com on uh, PayPal and um, and received a ton of donations like twenty thirty thousand donations of one dollar <laughs> which was but but I got I've received the first twelve or fifteen thousand and PayPal shut me down and they were like. Oh, this this film promotes stealing. This this is a Yeah. So the, what? So you think it's new, but it's not new. Like you financial censorship has been a thing. Like that's what Brad was experiencing, right? If you Yeah. They don't like the kinds of things you're doing. They're too gambly or they're too this. But they also they also have taken a political stance since the beginning. If you happen to be a renegade type, like anarchist type who was a shit stirrer, you'll have observed that this has happened for years and years and years. So I bet you if you went back and talked to ad busters or if you went back and talked to, you know, any of those early culture jammers, they'd all have experiences with credit card companies shutting them down or PayPal banning them. Yeah, so it's not new, it-
0: Were you able to recover your money though?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I called them up and was like, Hey dudes, what are you talking about? Like and they went through some arbitration process and I made my case of, you know, freedom of expression and explained that it was much more nuanced than that and they watched a film or something and they gave me my money back. But in a way, like it's, good. yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, it would have been
1: the, better if they didn't freeze it in the first place. But
0: Or at least watch the film before freezing it.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah, that's true too. And it, and it's always like during the peak. So it's always like, I don't know whether you've ever experienced something that's like gone through that, that curve, you know, but you, need, you need to, the, the donations need to come in at the moment when it's at the top. Once you hit the tails, it slows down obviously massively and they cut in right in the middle like took out a week so it probably would have been twice the donations so anyway so I don't think it's anything new I just think that when it's getting more the protest is becoming more mean like no one would have cared if we got financially censored when we were doing like the anti ga pro anti-globalization protests or whatever because it's a bunch of stinking hippies and no one gives a damn what they do or who's censoring them but now it's like normal people basically saying we don't want vax mandates and we want to we want to start working again it's obviously much more noticeable that well hang on you're just censoring normal people these aren't these aren't like anarchist hippies these are like real people you know like so it's something that doesn't surprise me at all in some way i'm slightly like uh please that <laughs> it's going mainstream that people can see that there's always been these limitations on what you could say and do like anybody who think anybody who naively believes in american for example freedom of speech needs to understand that capital has a way of of of, nego- of, of um, negotiating the boundaries of free speech through these invisible or pseudo visible mechanisms you know like part of it is financial censorship another part is like censorship like for example, like soft censorship, like credit scores, and don't do this, yeah. don't do that, otherwise it affects your credit score. And this, in the end, sort of delimits the structure of what it's possible to do and say uh, without actually saying it in the law. You know, so you can you can wave the flag and say we're all free, but then you, should, you know, try doing something the state really doesn't like, and you discover ah, uh-uh, actually, the banks have always been there, ready to stand up for their you know, their partners,
1: their invested interests. I mean, you can't really blame them at the end of the day.
2: No, no, it's, it's just, it's just that, you know, it's like, like, as I say, part of me is like, um, police is the wrong word, but, uh, um, uh, it's it's, it's high time that people understood that this is not a new process. It's just affected a much smaller and number of people, you know, and it would have been easy to say, oh, but you're just shit stirrers anyway. You know, it doesn't matter. Like the this film, people got censored. They're just a bunch of pirates. Right. And that's true. We were just a bunch of pirates. But when it's like, oh, you're like all the truckers in Canada, <laughs> you know, then it's like, that's harder to say that that, 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 that um, the censorship is is, is justified.
1: Right. Anyway, yeah. Anyway,
2: anyway, sorry, I keep every time everything you say, everything you say, I, I, I go off on a tangent about it. So. Oh, it's good. These are good no, tangents.
0: Yeah, it's all good. Well, the name calling uh, and all, the name calling always gets to me, uh, <laughs> whoever it may be, two words. And I think that a lot of the arguments kind of get stuck at that top level of the um, of the. Builder, what is that called funnel. the funnel because it's like oh uh there uh, there were this is a white supremacist right-wing nationalist movement yeah and and that's it you know that's where it kind of gets stuck but and then because of the labels that or because of the definitions and descriptions that come with those top level labels uh the fact that there is now financial censorship involved in freezing of bank accounts all of that seems justified to the the crowd that believes that the convoy yeah. is. Um, not justified in the first place. And I I think that all of it is quite nuanced. Um, There might be people who um, are white supremacists, again, name-calling, labeling, I'm not a huge fan of it, but people have their own beliefs and freedom of expression. If that exists, then people are free to express whatever they want
2: to yeah. express, wherever Guess they what? want to express there's, it. There's always, some, there's always someone you don't disagree with in any given group of people. I mean, you take a group of black bloc anarchists and there'll be 10 cops and five FBI members in there, you know. I'm sure they'd rather they weren't there. You take a bunch of nice truckers and there'll be a couple of people who would like to, you know... Would like to storm the capital or whatever. Just that's how it is. There's always someone who you disagree with, and it's only recently that we've had this idea of like guilt by association, and and seem to have dispensed with them. Um, lately seem to be keen to dispense with habeas corpus, which is particularly worrying. I mean, given that we spent, we in Britain spent quite a long, quite a lot of people died to get get that on the, to get that on the table. And now to just, you know, ditch it, we're just going to shut down your bank account. We're going to freeze your, you know, whatever, like that's, you know, we'd, we'd be better to like stick, stick, you know, go back to basics in terms of the rule of law. And I think it's like, and just a, f- a final point on that. You know, I think this—the other thing that's not new—is this thing about the state of emergency, right? That, like, since nine eleven, there's been this ability for the state to ex- essentially sort of stay within a permanent emergency, right? <laughs> but, but also at certain times, like, declare it code red. Now we're in a real emergency. This is really like. A state of exception now, right? And and then they and then it's just like the rule of law. We have to suspend it, and and then they just do whatever they want. And your generation has pretty much lived within that type of elastic zone, right? And and yep. you know, I can remember a time before that, but, but the, it seems like that's the other thing. Like under the state of emergency, they can essentially say, well, sort of, for the next two weeks, you kind of don't have any rights.
1: There was this great meme circulating. The internet right now and the emergencies act in Canada uh, used to be uh, it's the emergency measures act. And I think it used to be just the emergencies act. And it's been in in place for a while. The version that we have now is new as of 1988, and it hasn't been used since. But it's been the, the earlier version of the law has been used three times, World War One, World War II, and something like 1964 or 1977 or something like that, some within that time range. And there's just images. One is like, you know, World War One image, black and white photo, people on a battlefield. Sa- same image for the second image, it's World War Two. Third image is, uh, I think it's um, it was in the 60s with uh, the human's right, human rights protests or something like that. And it's like, okay, I see, I see like those are pretty good reasons to call an emergency. You know, there's a world war going on. And then the last image is like people partying in Ottawa. Yeah. It's like, yeah, this is the fourth reason why we've decided to call an emergency. It's, yeah. it's um, very calls. It calls into question the, it just calls into question. Honestly, I'll just, I'll just look <laughs> yeah. at that.
2: And- <laughs> yeah. I would agree with that. Yeah. So, so you wanted to ask me about about this machine grains, right? And then we, I, like, uh, I so, did, okay,
0: hang on though. I did, but there was this question that I wanted to ask you before, like probably 30 or 40 minutes ago, because I wanted okay. to know where your passion for technology and, and knowledge of technology and then film comes in because, mm. um, it sounded like from what you said earlier, you were in software or a developer of sorts, and then you've also produced films. so. Sort Are these of, I mean, yeah,
2: sort of. And so like, so it's a bit strange. Like I was definitely into computers. I don't have a great deal of aptitude with writing code. I can write some Python. Um, maybe I could be better if I put my mind to it. But I don't think you could say I have any gift in that direction. Um, but I was into computers from an early age. I had computers from an early age. I pretty much used them for word processing. <laughs> 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 like, I'm really not that big of a nerd, but when my family bought me a, what was then the Commodore 64, which was like one of the first personal- computers, Thanks. Uh, I pretty much used it for like work processing and like I would occasionally like rewrite adventure games and like replace all the characters with people I knew and then sell those copies to friends for like a couple of bucks. So I suppose some form of piracy, I'm interested in adapting technology. But really, it started with university when I went in the, like I could see all these people using computers in the physics lab. This is how early it was. You could only use the computer in the physics lab. And so I got myself a key, I got myself a key card for the physics lab, which they didn't want to give. And I went in there and they were, I could see that they were doing things. And I knew it was like, they were connected somehow, you know? And I, so I started asking like, what are you doing? And they'd say, Oh, this is IRC or this is, this is gopher because the web didn't exist then. And, um, and as I started to understand what, what it was, because gopher was like the web, but it was like much simpler. Like you could hyperlink things, but it was like very structured. It looked like more like, um like something you get on a flip phone or something like that. Like it was a very structured little page, you know, like, like a wiki kind of, more like a wiki. and um, But I, as soon as I got the idea that, like, hang on a minute, these are all these pages are connected and they're all on different machines around the world, and I'm talking to people in a university on some server in Texas, I was completely <laughs> I was completely hooked. So and then when I saw this web, I saw a web page, and they were very basic because it was before initially you couldn't put images. Um, like I remember the day that you could put a GIF, for example. Um, and, I, and I asked someone, well, who do I have to call to get one of those? Who do, Like, <laughs> who do I have to? And he said, I don't think you need to ask anybody. You just put a, like an HTML file in a folder in this pub, in your pub directory. In And I was like, no fucking way. You're kidding me. Like, and, and anybody can see it? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, no. so, so I immediately did it, found out like, this is the format and so on. I think my, I think my son's coming back now. So there might be some noise. Is that okay? A little bit of oh, that's baby. Fine. baby noise. And so I, um, I hi uh, Dax. Uh, and uh, so, I, so I did it and it worked. And I put up this, well, it was about 3,000, 5,000 web pages at the same time, time. And I put up one. It was before the Wayback Machine, but my one was called Doctor Strange's World of Weird and it had like UFO news. I had a picture of Doctor Strange. And uh, Doctor Strange was a bit more marginal character at the time because they hadn't done all the reboots and what other, all the Marvel thing. There was none of that. But So we had like UFO news and this and that. And I used to interview people, like do these interviews with people who are like early web people. And so, yeah, I'm sort of partly asking. Well, basically, I was an English literature uh, philosophy uh, student, but I was just really, really interested in that because it was permissionless. And then... And then I kind of got into designing websites, but it was more like just doing HTML, tiny bit of programming, but mostly HTML and design and copywriting and pitching, pitching people as well. And then when films, when I got into film, I've always been kind of interested in film, but when it went digital, then I was like, this is my territory now. This is all digital. It, like, because, once I, because I remember trying to make a film at university and then when I found out that you literally had to cut pieces of tape, this is all old school to you, but you had to take the tape into the edit room yeah. and cut it. And if you hadn't left enough, if you hadn't left enough of a buffer around, it didn't work. So you had to shoot everything with like, my God, I was like, no, this is too much for me. <laughs> but when I came back to it, I was like, hang on, you can, you can do it in a pirated copy of Final Cut Pro with a 720p camera. And it's good enough. And that's when I made steal this film. And I just, you know, I made it with $6,000 that I happened to have lying around and uh, edited it in two weeks on a pirate copy of, of Final Cut. Sorry, Apple. And um, <laughs> distributed it on BitTorrent and uh, it, like millions of people downloaded it. So it was a, <laughs> it was a great experience for me, you know? Um, and uh, so, I mean, does that kind of answer your question?
0: Yeah, yeah, it totally does. And man, I really want to get to this machine greens, but I just keep, <laughs> I'm so curious about some of the things that you say. And, and one of them being, um, like pirating things. Now I, I will preface this with, um, you know, it not necessarily being something that is good or bad. It is something that simply is. And, um, what I'm curious about is, you know, what, what led you to want to pirate? um um the the version of final cut pro or uh, for i guess like what was your justification for you know being like oh i I mean i don't think
2: yeah i don't yeah sure i I mean for one thing with final cut pro i just with software like that i think (laughs) it seems strange to say it now uh We didn't have any particular commitment to filmmaking. I mean, that was the first film. Still, this film was the first film I ever made. It took me two weeks to shoot the interviews and 10 days to edit it. There's no way I was going to pay $600 for a copy of Final Cut Pro. But, I mean, now I don't think about anything of paying Adobe's extortionate license um, because I use the software all the time. So, I mean, that's the sort of answer for that was sort of like, of course, if you could go back and say, "Did we get six hundred dollars of value?" Yeah, we did. I would have paid it if I'd known. And you know, for example, these days I buy all my. Game. I play quite a lot of computer games. I buy them all. I buy the vast majority of. like I like to support the creators, and you know, I have yeah. more money and so on. Um, as for films, um, well, we well that, that group of people who made Steel this film kind of like all of us were sort of cinephiles and right. most of the we weren't like particularly downloading i mean we did download the matrix but we weren't particularly trying <laughs> to download hollywood films you know there's a lot of well there are some significant trackers that are dedicated to cinema and they are you cannot get they are literally you cannot get that material anywhere else and the well they are the best libraries of cinema in human history and okay. so the why is, like, there is no alternative. That is there's the only place right. you're going to get a lot of these films. You know, you want to see a film of William Burroughs, uh, you know, in 1964 in Tangiers with Ginsburg. This is the only place you're going to get it. Or, or whatever, you know. And, and so I think that's the, the answer probably. And, and by the way, you know, the vast majority of filmmakers – except the ones who are really ideologically, for one thing, they don't pay for films because other filmmakers send them the films for free. Right. Right. So number one, they don't barely pay for them. And number two, if they, if, if they can't get hold of a film, they're going to pirate it because filmmakers just, the vast majority of them just want their film to be seen. You know, the, 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 you know, I don't, of the directors, you know, the producers right. and the businessmen may have a different strategy, even a, a different idea. But I in the many years I spent travelling around as like Mr. steal this film, I can count on one hand the people who seriously aggressed me about, you know, pirating. Most filmmakers asked a completely different question, which is how do I get my film shared on BitTorrent? <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm serious. so It's sort of counterintuitive, but when you think about it, it's not really because these people like busted serious effort to get this film made and they know like maybe they made their money back, but that's not the same as like, steal this film really moved the needle. You know? And yeah, had, You had want that. people's
1: attention at the end of the day. Yeah, I think we were was... laughing because it's, it's true. Like I can see people asking that question because like, just with our own experience of this podcast, um, like we don't do ads this is not about the money for yeah. us um, it's never been about the um, making money actually it's the podcast has always been about money um <laughs> literally <laughs> uh, but it's it's never been about making money it's we just want people to listen and become better at, at managing their own financial lives like uh, yeah. that, that's our brand that's our message yeah. um but like if you are a film producer and you've got your you just like you said you put your blood, sweat and tears into, uh, like 40 hours of film cut down to two hours. It's like, damn, man, like, like that's a lot of time and effort into that. You want people to see, it. you want their yeah. attention, you value yeah. their attention more than their dollar in a lot of yeah, ways.
2: Exactly. And, and by the way, you know, I mean, this may be different now. The economics may have changed. Um, and the economics for a filmmaker more in my position are different than the economics of a filmmaker as I was when I made Steel. this film. Uh, but I went around a whole bunch of film festivals as the Steal This Film guy. He's pro-piracy. He's drinking your milkshake. He's, you know, he doesn't care about DVD sales, you know. Gasp before the filmmaker who doesn't want to make money. And so it's like a circus act. Um, And I had made, I think by the time of the end of Steal This Film 2, like $65,000 or something like that in donations. And it was and I used to say that on stage openly to people and not think this is not very much money. And I didn't realize because none of the people who were on platforms with me, the head of film, uh, Lionsgate, the CEO of Film4, none of them ever said that's bigger than any check I've ever cut any director for a documentary for a first time. or a doc-. They never confessed what I'd done and got donations from people via PayPal and whatever was was more money than almost any of those people in the audience were going to make, probably in their career. And, right. um, wow. and and I, when I finally found that out, which was later on, when I was like, okay, I've made two, like, weird films, now give me the money to make, like, a proper film, I realized, first thing, there isn't really any money, like, only for, for very few people. And secondly, there isn't really a business in the way you would understand it for documentary. And so... Um, you know, they're not, it's not like the system as it stands is going to serve you well. You know, it there's a very few people that it can serve like the way you could make a career out of it. It's a little bit like being a journalist. You probably started with money, you know, the, you, yeah. you, you, probab- yeah. you probably didn't go into it like uh, from a working class background. So, um, anyway, ho- hopefully that kind of answers your question. Um,
0: yeah. Thank you so much for that perspective and that that very um real experience from uh from what you have lived and i think that this is actually a now a very very good point in our conversation to talk about this machine greens and especially um the trust film because brad wanted us to cover that as well so yeah uh this machine greens let's talk about that when did you think of co-producing that
2: oh well i mean um i basically was just responding to like i think there was a discussion i mean it's like one of the big fud one of the big fuds of that of that moment which is now probably nearly a year ago right a bit less than a year ago uh was this idea like bitcoin is consuming all this energy and um and it's dirty tech and uh, needs to be regulated and so on and so on and anybody could see that it was dangerous um, I usually just observe these kind of memes as they come and go. I'm not somebody who really gets into it on Twitter. I have a very casual relationship with Twitter. I can't be bothered really usually because um, I like to make a piece of work where I've really thought about it and put effort into it. And that's what I meant to say was in this machine greens. You know what I mean? I don't want to have yeah. casual comments leading up to it or after it. Those are the things I thought about. So, <laughs> you know, Um but anyway, it's sort of this, this discussion was getting more heated and it was like, do you remember it was this period when there was tons of FUD? It was just like one after the other. It's like a FUD oh, yeah. It's like a FUD can. Yeah. Like, we did boom, our own boom.
1: responses to it. Yeah. It was
2: wild, right? And then I think there was a discussion like Lyle Pratt and Brad and others. And suddenly Brad was like, oh, or Lyle was like, we should make a film. And Brad was like, oh, I know this filmmaker, Jamie. And he asked me, would you want to make that film? And I thought about it for a minute. And I don't usually do things that other people suggest to me. I'm pretty, <laughs> I'm pretty bloody minded. In fact, if you suggest it to me, I'm likely to do the other thing. Generally speaking, I have a very childish psychology. Um, <laughs> but it seemed like a good idea to me, especially because like, I wanted to do this much bigger project on Bitcoin. And right. I know, as you now know, that I've been involved in Bitcoin almost since the beginning in some way or another. But it's not like I'm out there like giving it i'm not public about it and i haven't been part of the discussion really deliberately so i figured like okay maybe this will establish my credentials a bit you know i made Steel this film that was kind of like an internet film i want to make trust which is going to be this this for me it's like another film about Pit of here uh culture and politics but let's do this one in the middle, which kind of serves the Bitcoin community. And so that was the impetus to make a film, which would be like something you could share, like you have and say, look, if you're interested in this, if this is an argument which bothers you, or if some, then watch this and I did it really. And I tried to do it in a way where it was like a liftoff, like as like, a, you know, hit. you know, we started with a discussion doesn't seem to be about Bitcoin, right? It's about energy and civilization. And then you get this and actually this this is the basis of
1: uh, it's a crescendo.
2: Yeah. And then it's like, and guess what? You're going to need this. This is your life for, art for what's coming next. Um, and so, yeah, that, that was the impetus was really a response to the, the, the feeling that it was needed.
1: Was there any points that any experts or like, people that were credible? It's a very odd sound coming from uh, your head now.
2: It's a drill. In Mexico, basically, you have to live with noise.
1: Um, oh, we're familiar oh, yeah. with that phenomenon. Yeah, we're in we're India. In India. And uh, it's dogged. very strange
2: it's very similar to India, like it's it's, yep. a lit, it's a little easier to walk in a straight line in Mexico. One of the things where I lived in India for a bit and I got back to London, I, I was, two things, two things struck me. One, that you can just go to the shop and go in a straight line. You don't have to go around <laughs> like a dog sleeping in the road, a hole, a guy, a cow. A guy who wants to stick something in your ear. A, a burning pile of rubbish. Yeah, cow. Whatever. You just go in a straight line. And the other thing that was like, wow, you just go in a straight line. It's well. Wow, there's, no, there's no hole in the road. Water. Just just a big puddle. Um, and the second thing was that everyone has an outfit. I mean, this is London, the, you know, big city thing. But it's like instead of oh, this is a shirt that I got from my uncle, or this is a shirt that my auntie, or a shirt that I found, or no, no, this is a sh- every item people are wearing has been thought about and purchased specifically for the way that it looks. <laughs> After you spend enough time in India, you're like oh my God, like everybody here has got a look. This is bizarre. You know. Anyway, Mexico is so beautiful. Yeah, it's it's no, I, I actually prefer the Indian way, personally speaking, because that's, that's how I wear clothes. They're like randomly acquired. <laughs> but here in Mexico, it's not quite as intense, I would say, at least here in uh, Yucatan, it's fairly c- calm and you can generally go in a straight line. Anyway, they stopped again now. So where, where were we?
1: <laughs> I was in the middle of asking if uh, like any experts or like uh, credible people brought arguments to you refuting any of the um, like any of the narratives or claims that you were making in the film Um, and like to preface your answer, like I watched the film and all of the, like I did my research as well. I went out, like I was already fairly familiar with the literature, um, but like nothing was, there there was nothing in there that was like, Oh, that's an outrageous claim. Like, Oh my God, I can't. Yeah. Um, That's
2: that's the strategy I've been trying to use recently. I've been been trying trying to do with trust as well (laughs) is to just surf the edge of, of what (laughs) of what people can object to. I've often often wondered if it's like, this is a really bad tangent, but I've often wondered if it's possible to make art, like, for example, a painting. If you could make a painting, it's not like it's a sort of painting without qualities where there's nothing right about it, but there's nothing wrong about it either. (laughs) Do you see what I mean? Everyone would have to accept it as good because there's nothing you could object to. And in a way, I've been trying to... Because we're in this like moment of culture war, Right where no one can agree on anything, I kind of tried to do this line where it's like you can then you can't get your hook into any part. Like nobody who stands on one side of this or the other could say, "Oh, this is a right wing film" or "This is a left wing film." You know, like yep. my my tendencies are towards. The left, I suppose, certainly the way Bitcoiners would see it, like I favor national health care and I don't mind the idea of taking care of like handicapped people, that doesn't make me sick, Um, and so on and so on. Like I I think, I think if we're, I think even if Jeff Booth is right and we're going into like a deflationary technology society, to me that's more reason that you should provide free health care. If the machines are getting cheaper and cheaper, when we can have robots do surgery, then then please, let's have that for everybody.
1: agreed so in that sense
2: in that sense i'm left wing in every other sense i'm like libertarian and maybe that's the reason why i like to try to walk this line you know so i'm glad to hear you say it's like i basically tried to keep it the the, the real place that i would say uh, that i learned during the film is is this is this thing about good energy and bad energy i really had to like take a few steps back. About what I, for example, I've always been somebody who'd be like, "Oh, I'd love to have like a Tesla." That's the only car that's ever excited me. I, I hate cars. I hate the way that they, you know, pollute the things. I always hated the noise of the, the ambient noise of cars. You know, uh, hate hate it. And so Tesla, I was like, "Oh, this is this is like more like a computer, right? This is more like digital." <laughs> and like, and then I realized that from making this film, no, 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 no actually it's the same thing only they've taken the fuel burning and like moved it somewhere you can't see right right because there's nothing clean earlier in
1: the production line
2: yeah there's nothing clean about it unless you have solar panels in your own home and then you power your tesla that would power your electric car that even then the solar panels have to get made and many people would say that there's more waste and energy involved in that than you're ever going to recoup and so on and so on. Some of those people would be fossil fuel advocates, but okay, you know, I realize that basically, in you know, one way you could say it, there's probably no good fuel, and another way you could say it is, there's no really bad fuel, and of course, another way you
1: could say it is that there's a cost to, that comes yeah, with everything. Everything comes at a cost. It, exactly. Um, exactly. It's it, the generalization is. that kind of puts an umbrella over this whole thing. And if we can agree on that axiom, then we can talk about what costs are involved in exactly either fossil fuels or green energy, quote unquote it, green energy. Exactly, we can talk about the costs of the Bitcoin network. We can talk about the costs of the legacy financial system, and. I don't know. If you can't agree that everything has a cost, then like I guess we can't really have a conversation. Do You know what I mean? Like if we can't get past the initial axiom,
2: it's super naive. And the one thing I had, so that was sort of new learning for me because I I hadn't really thought about it a lot. You know, I just kind of absorbed the, the the marketing, which of course. Once you, the more you learn about a topic, the more you're like, "Oh my god!" Like everything they're saying is bullshit, you know. But yeah. the one thing I had sniffed out, because of course it sets off my anarcho radar, is the is the ESG stuff that that had already I'd already realized that that was bullshit uh, because of the way that it's used like a Trojan horse, right? It's like your company is insufficiently. E S or G and and we and, and therefore we need to take more control and the question I'd always always wondered about E S G was from where whence is this emanating right like and like, like you suddenly see these like in the F T they're talking about this company is insufficiently E S G or so and so's board had to respond to questions about its it's 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 e or it's s and, and so what, what where, where did this mandate start from and once you realize oh it started from Blackrock <laughs> once you realize that then you think oh this is what we're encountering here is like an alternate power um in power system power structure and it which is which is creating which is sort of p- p- para is using the stakeholder stakeholder capitalism as a, sort of as a parasite, it's, it's parasitically using it to control to to operate what was a free market essentially as a command economy, right? So and it, and once and so I already had that piece of knowledge, um, which I guess in the end didn't kind of. St- this machine Green really didn't go into that in big detail because I figured like that would be an example of something that's crossing the line. <laughs>
1: right? <laughs> um, Can we expand the acronym ESG just for our audience? Um, yeah, environment, yeah.
2: it stands for environmental, social, it means completely incoherent, but environmental, social, and governance. And the governance part is to do with identity politics, inclusivity. Um, I suppose social is like social impact. So it's called in film. How many call charities
1: it, are you donating to?
2: Right. Or in film they call it like impact like impact assessment, like who what what changes produce what social changes produced by this thing? And the E is yeah, obviously like environment yeah, no environmental.
1: Oh gotcha. Sorry. Yeah, so it's
2: like how dirty or clean are you? And, uh, and you can buy yourself any of these things. So you can buy yourself a bit of E, a bit of S, or a bit of G. You can trade it, right? You can, you can trade your ESG through carbon credits, for example. Um, so, you, so it's essentially like, um, do you remember before the Reformation, you could buy, buy yourself the Reformation of the church in, in Europe? You could buy pardons. Do you know about this? You used to, be able no. to You used to be able to. So if you'd done, like, naughty stuff, You could travel or find yourself like a, I don't know, a bishop or a priest and you could buy what were called, they didn't call them pardons, they called them something else. Anyway, they were like little slips of paper that you could pay for and the church would say, you're absolved of your sins. You are now clean. Nowadays,
1: they just relocate you.
2: Yeah, they let you clean. And so um, after the Reformation, they removed this because it was corrupt, obviously, and ESG is very similar. Carbon credits are like the modern version of that because you don't have to actually be clean. You just have to have the money to buy cleanliness and displace your carbon production to India, for example, or Africa or wherever else. That's the system. Right? To a
1: place that doesn't have these carbon credits uh, requirements. Yeah, yeah it's, like, it's exactly yeah. the
2: same thing. You yourself do not need to be clean. You just need to have the means it's like Karl Marx said, right? I may be, he didn't say exactly this, but Will's claim he did. I may be dirty, but with money, I can make myself clean. Yuck. You, know, you, you remember the Karl Marx statement? Like, I may be ugly, but money makes me handsome. I may be stupid, yeah. but with money, I can hire a clever man. I may be, and so on and so on. I add to that, I may be dirty, but with money, I can buy myself clean.
1: No, the paraphrase works out.
2: Yeah. So yeah, so that so that's kind of a a big component of it is realizing that like with that with that uh, projectile from the flood cannon, <laughs> this, this, we were like in the middle of one of these uses of ESG because it was like Bitcoin is not E, and it's probably not very S and. It's is quite a question as well, right? And so we were in the middle of a use of exactly how ESG is supposed to function. With this weapon, we can control a thing we don't like, which is Bitcoin. And you could see how well it worked because it was in every newspaper, every TV report. It works so well because you pick three things that nobody can kind of feel they can object to. And then you say, you know, Bitcoin it's bad for the environment. It has negative social impact because terrorists use it and criminals use it, and it's um, got poor something we can't control because it's all run by white, white, uh, right-wing libertarians, men, yeah. white male, right-wing libertarians. And they should those, be
1: Sue Ennis from Hutt 8 Mining, right? For and example. Maybe,
2: Jacinda no, Brown from Kryptonite. And, and that's the sad thing because it's like you take something that's that's on the face of it, extremely reasonable, like everybody everybody getting a fair, to the extent that we can manage it, a fair crack of the whip. Something that's hard for a lot of us to object to. And then you turn it into something, a cudgel that you can use to smash things that you dislike. And then you realize you're going to end up, you know, that this this is a strategy that may work in the short term, but ultimately it will make people doubt the entire framework that you're using yeah. to beat them with. And that's what's happening now. Yeah. You know, people are like, I don't believe you. I don't accept, you know, and then you'll have to have a reformation and maybe that's where we are. <laughs> and reformations are always really ugly, by the way, like nothing, like it always takes like 50 years for everything to shake out. You get like bananas, stuff happening, like really crazy stuff, you know? So then you're going to have like, 50- I think we're like
1: in the, the square in the middle of that right now. And like, if you were to try it. to p- pinpoint the start of it, like I'd either put that at 2001 or 2008 and like we're, we're square in the middle of it yeah. as far as I can see. Either that or 1993, like the industrialization, um, the commercialization of the internet. Like it could be that we're 30 years into the process of uh, yeah. this reformation, this it, information it, reformation. It,
2: it, it could be like after the reformation, just after the printing press, right? Like you got things like cults, like religious cults that were so powerful they took over entire cities. That sounds like, familiar. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, but I mean, it's uh, so you could argue that storming the capital is of that, it's of that ilk. And it, it definitely is. I was thinking is. Scientology. Yeah, it's true. Scientology has been around for quite a while, but uh, storming the capital is interesting because it's like, it's essentially like a meme, like meme generated thing, right?
1: Um, oh, and the whole Q- uh, QAnon thing? Yeah. Like-
2: yeah, so that, yeah, would, that, that okay, would be yeah, a that's good example. Yeah, and it's definitely like meme-driven, like it arises from the internet. Uh, but I, I right. don't think anything has happened of a similar scale yet. Like it would have to be, I suppose you could say like Portland, like taking over Portland, the, the, the temporary autonomous zone and all that, that was pretty hardcore.
1: That was pretty but hardcore.
2: You, <laughs> yeah, you're in a danger of like, you're in danger of like every every generation tends to say we're living in end times right we have this eschatological tendency Yeah, I, I'm not there. <laughs>
1: I think that we'll make it through this. I just don't know how. Yeah, I am. Like with I like think two I'm ma- Two masks
2: but... c- curled up in my pocket saying like it's not the end times like it's you know. Yeah, anyway. So yeah, anyway, um more tangents. Sorry. I can't control myself. <laughs>
0: Oh, we love tangents, and it was, uh, it, was it was actually from um, uh, having to elaborate on what ESG is, and yeah. um, and, um, and that well, this machine greens, which is the the film, which we encourage everybody to go out and watch. It's not very long at all. I, I think it's around twenty minutes. 40,
2: 40 minutes, thirty eight minutes. But it's good that you felt it was shorter.
0: Well, I thought, yeah, because I usually watch 20 minute videos. I'm doing a course right now with a friend of mine. And it's even if it's longer, we only do 20 minutes at a time so we can begin everything. But when I watched it, I just kind of felt like 20 minutes. Yeah. (laughs) must
1: have been on 2X. You watch all your videos on 2X.
2: (laughs) That's good. That's a sign of 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 an agile brain. But when you're, it's funny because when you're making films like um, 40 minutes, is like this magic point if you can keep it under 40 it's actually fairly easy to edit And, and by which i mean to make it hang together for the viewer more than that and it starts like you really need to think about the structure but one thing i realized like is that i separated it into like chapters and i think that signposting helps you say look this is part one it's about this this is part two it's about that and then the viewer kind of feels like oh i got a breath And the next thing. And also I left some small sections. I want to experiment with this more, but more like where it's just music and images and you just got a few seconds to say, okay, I'm just watching things happen. I like that about it. Yeah, Adam Curtis does that a lot and I think it works really well. You know, the Power of Nightmares guy and Century of the Self and all of that. Um, So I'm glad you felt it was 20 minutes is a good sign.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right on. So Trust Film, tell us about that.
2: yeah. It's a much bigger project. Um, it's a four-part. It's it's a four-part series, mm-hmm. a four four times one hour, um, and uh, it's it's a film about. Um, it's partly what we've been talking about, but it's about the the fact that I think all of us can accept. And there's not many facts all of us can can accept, but I, I can I can confidently say that everybody listening to this, plus almost every almost everybody, would be able to agree that we've reached a point where trust in, in traditional institutions and authorities is in a kind of terminal decline. And, you know, so it, it doesn't matter which side you, you're on. It doesn't matter whether you think right. all, all doctors are trustworthy or whether you think they're all trying to kill us, um, through their stealth, stealth, uh, um, injections. Um, you can still Everyone agree. doesn't trust someone you can still agree that most people no longer think, no longer trust the authority of doctors or no longer trust the medical establishment or um, the power of, 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 of for example, in the newspapers. Um, right. You know, there was a time when, I re- for example, I remember when, yeah, well, everybody denies this now, but with the second invasion of Iraq, one uh, was one Britain was involved in, of course, because it always like sucks up to, to its American daddy and says, what do you need us to do, you know? Um, and they were saying that the missiles were 20 minutes from from the UK, the Iraqi missiles were 20, 26 minutes, they said, which is complete bullshit. And everyone will deny it now, but I'm telling you almost everybody believed it. And almost everybody, because I went around asking people because my tendency is not to believe these things, right? It's not, it's not that exciting. I tend not to believe anything that I'm told by authority. And I've always been that, since, like that since I was a little kid. So I'm always like, you seriously buying this? And the answer was yes. Why? Because it was repeated in all these Augustine. The Guardian, people trusted the Guardian. And they trusted right. the Guardian when the Guardian told them, you are in mortal danger. Your children are in danger. And just think how far we've come. Back then, I could literally sample 100 people in London. I'm telling you that 98, 99 of them would have said, they'll deny it now. But 98, 99 of them would have said, yeah, I basically believe that. Now, you'd have like at least 50% of them be like, yeah, whatever, these guys, they say a bunch of stuff, you know, and that's where we are. So you've reached a point where most people, well, a preponderance of people, let's say, are... um, deeply skeptical about institutions and the way that they the narratives that they have about modern life so the first part of the film the project is tracking like why is this happening has it ever happened before what are the consequences of it what is it like to live in a world we know partly what it's like to live in a world where this is happening but like what's at the other end of this process so that's part of it and then the other part of it is to do with Bitcoin and And it's like, I realized the strange thing that, you know, for many people, Bitcoin was always a technology that didn't have a didn't have a why didn't have to put it in venture capital terms. There wasn't a need. And um, like, I might have a need like buying weed off the internet will be do you know, it's not so exciting, right? Or Brad might have a need, like doing sketchy like uh, gambling apps or whatever he was doing. I'm not, saying, I'm not saying he was doing sketchy, you know. but normal people, what's the need? And what I realized was, actually, if you go back to the, the inception of Bitcoin, when it's sort of all the bits and pieces that make it up start to get created, it's at another time of systemic distrust, which is the Cold War. And okay... It's a different type of mistrust it's a diff- it's like a bipolar it's like people America didn't trust Russia Russia didn't right. trust America but at this moment it's like reds under the bed Don't trust no one you know uh, mutually assured destruction you get all right. these systems developing that are designed to survive a zero trust environment right you get like public. i I actually
1: love this point that cryptography actually is a it's a weapon of war or it's a tool of war like that's where it that's where it came from it's always been that way even when like thousands of years ago when one um kingdom or tribe or country would send a message to another it would be encrypted with a codex of some sort yeah and the the point is to hide information from your enemy, yeah. Um, and so, like, I constantly try to remind myself that if a government or a military is looking at Bitcoin and they see that cryptography is the thing that is being used to make this possible, like, I can't blame them for thinking that this is uh, like a military threat or an attack of some sort because, like, that's the framework and lens through which they're yeah. essentially designed or conditioned uh, to think about a, a tool based on cryptography.
2: And I think this is like the Jason Lowry. Uh, nexus of arguments right which i find very convincing in some ways but i think it's also possible to look at it in a slightly different way which is to say like for example if you go back to the to the to the inception of america itself um which happens at this time of sort of great revolutions right you just had the well more or less just had the french revolution and the french revolution devolves into what they call the terror right so it's like People, the, the people took over the, the aristocracy and beheaded a bunch of them and so on. But then they started beheading each other. <laughs> you know, like, it doesn't take long, usually, for the left to start, like, cutting each other's heads off. And um, and I think America, when it first founded, they, it was founded very much on the experience of seeing, that, like, this idea that, that power corrupts and that centralized power corrupts. And I think America's really, like, provably a, an attempt at a design to avoid or to to mitigate the consequences of corruption in any specific organ so it's like okay your executive is like a crazy no i'm not going to say that your 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 president is like maybe a little wayward let's leave it there or your you know your your senate is um has got a corruption problem or whatever bought
1: and sold maybe
2: yeah and so, uh, in in any of those cases, each degree of corruption is mitigated by another organ that maybe is doing okay. I don't know. That's the idea of it. And if you say that's the idea of America, actually, Bitcoin starts to look kind of like as American as apple pie. Totally. And and that's yep. so one of the strategies I may well take in the film because the film has this kind of that the project has this kind of um, goal, social goal to like. Um, yet yeah, on board you could say socially on board people who haven't yet understood this need and i think if you could point out because i know there's actually nothing scary about this this is like the structure of america itself this is this is like another go at the american experiment and 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 if and right. i may i may I may pursue that um because because partly because i believe it I to be true a compelling partly angle partly because i believe it to be strategically compelling yeah uh, yeah.
1: yeah awesome i'm i mean i'm going to watch it
0: yeah well <laughs> um, yeah me too and i i do understand this need and i think that the need to understand this is going to grow as time passes um it's going to become more of a necessity to understand why the things that are going to take place in the future are taking place and it it is um I think that it is one of the factors that it is going to be seated in is the the lack of trust in systems.
2: Exactly. And I figured like, if you can, if you can show people like, look, this is the problem and we can all agree on the problem, whichever side you're kind of sitting, well, you could be in the middle on either side, you can see there's a problem. Then you can see that the, 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 this thing starts to be created in an era where there was another big tr- trust crisis. And now... You're reaching a point where, because the question I've always had when people have said Bitcoin would fail, one of the questions I've always had is, and this was only possible to do, I think, in the last, like sort of in the post-Facebook era, I started to have this feeling like, wait, the internet has revolutionized or displaced or disintermediated newspapers, uh, TV stations,
1: taxis. The movie theater.
2: I mean, you just keep going, right? It's just like, and and you're saying it, it, and so it really should be the onus should be on you to explain why money is going to be the one thing that it's not gonna, it's not gonna disintermediate. Why? Why it is? And so, and so to me, it's like you know, if you can show people, listen, we're at this moment of trust, and to put that another way, why do you think we will continue to trust? The Federal Bank. Why would we continue when we don't really trust any institutions and it's getting worse and worse? Why will those men in suits, those particular men and women in suits, be able to show up and tell us we're raising the rates, we're lowering the rates, we're printing more money, we're not printing money, there's inflation at 7.5, there's no inflation, it's an illusion, and we'll carry on sucking it up? You know, because to me, those statements, firstly, they have to be believed in themselves, like as oracular statements, they're like Delphic, right? It's like this issuance of order. It's like you have to, it is almost religious, right? Priestly. And then they relied on like this, this all, all these organs of, of um, newspapers and TV stations and journalists and so on, all of whom had to take those statements Mung, like munch them, eat them, and like regurgitate them in different forms for different constituencies. And we don't trust any of those people either. So even if we did trust the Oracle, so it's like the whole thing is kind of messed up. And and so then you reach this point where you're like, listen, this isn't about us saying, um, you know, we, we arbitrarily want to oust these people, although there would be a lot of reasons why, that wouldn't be arbitrary, right? Like like a lot of the points Alex Gladstein is making about the way the financial system excludes people and causes all kinds of distortions and poverty and stuff. But it's not it's like you say, No, look, it's sort of inevitable that you're going to fail and we need a plan B. But, but, like we need to have something ready. Because yeah. All these other things have failed, and it's like unless you want Facebook to take, which apparently they don't want Facebook to take over the money supply, right? It's one thing they seem to be able to agree on is we do not want mm-hmm. Facebook to run it. Okay, well then we're going to need something, and you guys don't like if you think. And so I suppose then the, then then the project will discuss like um, you know what are the potential futures, right, of a society that's operating in like a diminished trust. Scenario, and I think there are these two clear options. Like one is is the one that the B, the Bank of International Settlements, the kind of um, design research and research and design department for money um, they want, which is CBDCs, uh, which essentially is money as surveillance infrastructure, money as a con- command and control infrastructure, yeah. which dovetails really well with ESG, and. And, and all of the things that that implies, and I just don't think this is palatable to ordinary people. I, I, you know, I think it's gone well beyond the idea of like, well, if you've got nothing to hide, you've got nothing to fear. I think we can all see, right, with the with the, the Ottawa yeah. truck. That's what they used to say, right? People accepted it. And then on the other oh, side... they still
1: accept it. Actually, right. like right. I, I still hear that argument from, from some friends of mine when we bring up Edward Snowden and like the contributions that that patriot made to human civilization. Right. Um, like we still get, well, I have nothing to hide. And it's like, well, you're gonna, you're going to have something to hide as yeah. the list of things that of uh, the, as the list of things that you should hide grows. And it'll inevitably come to encompass one of the things that you're doing. and at and that also point it's time,
2: com- it completely misses the point because it's like what totally. I was saying about this, <laughs> the soft the soft in soft censorship that happens all the time, for example, credit scores. but there's similar things with expression because you know if you know, like cancel culture, for example, is one part of it where if you know it's no longer acceptable to talk about some specific things, if you even think. That by speaking in the, about this general area, I might get myself into trouble. Your tendency is to just say, "I'm not going to talk about anything to do with that." I'm just not I'm not going to get. I'm not going to go there. And then you know, and and this 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 is like repeated throughout our culture. That it's like people have people have already internalized like what is possible to say and what is possible to do, and the, this, the establishment is always like advancing it's always advancing like a little takes a little takes a couple more words One away step from at me. A time. Yeah. It takes a couple more words, takes a couple more actions. And you no, know, this word is now banned. You know, you, you're no longer allowed to say, how would I see, someone's column got spike spiked. An editorial a colleague of mine who used to, a friend of mine, who used to be a, a, a senior, uh, editor on the financial times explained to me that, um, Someone's column got spiked for suggesting that, that, that printing money leads to inflation. And then I was told in the reasons, I was told this is conspiratorial thinking.
1: It's, that, uh, that's what not they were, to- that's what they were told.
2: This is, this is conspiratorial <laughs> thinking. And the interesting th- thing there to me is, is the use of the term conspiratorial.
1: Yes. Because, right, because that's, that's dismissive
2: is a great example of something where the state could say, well, look, you, I've, I've been through your Facebook posts and you engage in conspiratorial thinking, right? And so if anybody who says, I've got nothing to hide, you could return to them and say, it's like the point Chomsky made to that. Do you remember this? You've seen this interview with Chomsky uh, talking to a Probably, British... Probably, I've
1: watched Brit- a lot of Chomsky interviews.
2: ...British news reporter. And the British news reporter is saying, well, I, I'm not censored. You know, nobody tells me what to say. And Chomsky says, that's why you have the job... That you have <laughs> nobody has to tell you what to say you've you've internalized what it's permitted to say and and this is what people don't realize that's i have nothing by, yeah it's great answers but people don't realize about oh i have nothing to hide it's like well, well that's because you've successfully internalized the invisible perimeter of what is permitted and you should be ashamed of yourself if you've never if you don't have anything to hide <laughs> You're not trying hard or enough, that, <laughs> you know?
1: or that should be a wake-up call. Like, I, I think that t- to some extent, it, it's conditioning, it's programming from birth, and uh, like I do think it's like someone's responsibility to like unprogram themselves from from their culture. But Amrugas, what are you no, thinking no. here? Well,
0: I, more so now too, because with social media being used by basically everyone who doesn't want to mask their, mask their privacy or spend as much time on it. Privacy has kind of just sort of like been about or been changed to don't tell anyone about how much money you own, but your life has become um, a, like a showcase for other people to look into and see yeah. with Instagram and Facebook and even Twitter, Twitter being um, like a, a show into your opinions or a window into your opinions or Instagram being a window, not only into your pictures, but also what you spend your time on and what you're looking at and where you are. So yeah. I think that the notion of keeping your whereabouts and what activities you involve yourself in private has sort of just been shot because of yeah. social media. And I, the, the whole thing about, um, like I have nothing to hide gets, um, uh, gets fueled by people being on social media, showcasing their lives to everybody else on, on, yeah. on the internet. Sure. And then yeah. it's, it's more so like, Oh, like I really don't have anything to hide. Cause my life is out
2: there. Right. 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 Yeah. I get I Take your point. I guess one of the things I was anyway, staying on topic, um, I guess we're reaching reaching this moment rapidly where you're going to have these two competing visions of what money is, and one of them is going to be like it's more like a voucher system, really. What the the CBDCs that they're proposing is more like vouchers because they're revocable, right? Like in the British in the British, because the BIS like writes all these uh, reports and position papers, and then the other banks they interpret them and they sort of they implement them usually, right? And um, and the way the British press wrote it up was they said, oh, um, with the British, with the, what they call it, the uh, Britcoin, um, you'll be able to give uh, money to your kids, uh, but, it, it, but you'll be able to limit, they won't be able to send, spend it on sweets. And this will be great. And of course, in their minds, what, you, the, the, in this analogy, you are the child and they are the daddy right so uh, you, and that's that, perfect. what they're proudly telling you is we're gonna give you this um money, but it's it's revocable it's it's um it's 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 a it's a voucher that we can take away from you and 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 that's how it connects to privacy because it's um it it's it's via your credit score your know, the surveillance of you that they'll decide it's, it's sort of bi- it's bi- bipolar like on one side, if they want to like nudge you, They can say, okay, these vouchers, I mean, I am vegan, but they say these vouchers now spend twice as good on vegan food because we're promoting that, right? Good for me, not so good for you if you're a carnivore, right? But, but, you know, so they can nudge you on the one side and on the other side, they can kind of stymie you by saying, eh, you did this and that and this that we don't like. You engaged in conspiratorial thinking, right? You promoted this conspiratorial, you gave money to this and we're going to like... Uh, going to limit what you can do with your money just for the next couple of months just to see if you can improve your your behavior. That is what they want. And that well, is I quite, think that it's quite clearly written the, there, in their documents.
1: There's a good argument to be made that we're, we're already there. Um, and like the uh, just what's happening in Canada right now, um, like the, it kind of feels like the curtain's been pulled back. Yeah, I agree. Right? Like we were already in a system where they're the parent and at any point in time, they can flip a switch and uh, be the authority that does take away your spending privileges should you not be behaving. I mean, Justin Trudeau's literally used the word behavior yeah, yeah. Um, to, to describe um, what he wants people to do, like the criteria that he's giving people in order to restore their spending privileges. Um, and it's uh, it's definitely a like a parent feel to this whole thing to your point Um, like like a voucher system it's um it can be turned off at any point in time i think it's
2: i think Uh, it's like the good news if there is any good news is i just i i I think that the fact that you know these these protesters are, are as they say disparagingly populist which has come to be a dirty word like the yellow jackets in france they're populist it seems now to mean right wing, right? So it's like these. And what's really ugly about the statement is it usually means these are working class people who have possibly been like um, brainwashed by Putin. This is usually like it's like really derogatory about about working people, you know. But I think one of the consequences of them trying to use money as a control infrastructure, as a control surface to um, nudge or in otherwise delimit what these people can do, is everybody else is seeing it. And they're seeing it and saying, that, I don't want that to happen to me. I don't think these people yep. are doing anything unreasonable. And that, as I say, that's different from a bunch of unwashed hippies, like uh, bothering uh, rich people at Davos or whatever. They don't care. Uh, we tried to make them care for years and years and no one ever did. But, you know, when, when this happens to truckers, I think people can see, oh, that could happen to me, you know. And when it comes down to like which behavior is permitted, you know, um... I think people need to wake up because it doesn't need a great big lever. It, 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 there's like many things that you might consider nothing to hide. The state could deem at any minute could deem uh, conspiratorial or, 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 or seditious or, uh, you know, merely misbehaving and decide to use the, you know, use this granular control it has over your money um, to, to affect you. And so the film really is like the, the final, so sort it's of like, You've got this part, which is like, why is trust declining? What's the consequences of that? You've got this kind of interesting development of the history of Bitcoin in trustless, in another trust crisis. And then you've got this future in which it's like, it, it splits into these two roads, right? One in which it's like, well, what do you do if you you know when governments don't, when we don't trust governments and governments know we don't trust them. They don't trust us either. And they want more and more control over us, right? They want to see what are you doing, right? And you can see it everywhere. You go to an airport, there's cameras everywhere. We don't they don't trust us. We don't trust each other, you know? And in that environment, we're inevitably gonna have like, you know, like systems that want more and more granular control of and sight into everything. And I think a lot of and then on the other fork, we've got the distributed, decentered, non-hierarchical permissionless structures like Bitcoin that, as you said, are just better and also, as I was saying, dimensionally different in that they offer a completely different vision. Um, and the thing is, like, a, a, a different vision of how society is, is structured. And the thing is, again, I think it's like you've still got a hope of those arguments landing in America because yep. there was a time when – you know, in the in the 50s in America, the, the thing that people don't really know now, it, I think, is like there was this whole discussion about, well, maybe the communists are right. Like maybe, no, no, because it was like this technological moment, right, where everything seemed possible. Yeah. You got like Fordism and factories and, and really the communists, what they were doing was looking at what like Ford was doing, or like what would the Americans were doing and saying, we want some of that, but we're not going to operate it like capitalists. We're going to operate these machines like really efficiently. But even the Americans were looking at the communists and saying, but maybe like they're right. Maybe like with, with, with computers and machinery and planning, we can have a better state. And, you know, maybe they're right that it should be structured this way. And in the end, a different vision won out. And I think we're sort of at another philosophical moment like that where people are going to have to consider, do we want this Bank of International Settlements version or do we want this new... Um, new uh, philosophy which actually corresponds much more closely to this idea of like you know if you're a capitalist you'd say entrepreneurialism and and so on. if you're a communist if you're an anarchist you would say you know communalism and people uh, freedom and people making their own choices about what they want to do and so on and so on it doesn't matter those two those two um, philosophies or visions of what society could be are like totally loggerheads with each other, and we're at that fork in the road now. And So the, the film kind of like ends there. The series Excellent. ends Aww. there.
0: Oh, I love it. Oh, I, hmm. I, yeah? I feel too, sort of... Too... <laughs> I, I kind of feel bad because now I know the ending, but it'll still be... Well, it's about it. the journey,
1: not about the destination,
0: right? <laughs> yeah.
2: You've got to wait and see, because I don't know what will actually work. For example, you know, I'm like, I'm trying to get Alex Gladstein to be like a main person because I think totally. he, like, he like goes around and looks at like societies where money is failing. And I think that gives people right. a real, um, and I'm trying to get, and for the trust part, I'm trying to get this guy, Martin Gurry, who's the CIA, ex-CIA analyst. And he wrote this book called The Revolt of the Public, and it's all about how the internet is leading to like the decline of these narratives. Like nobody can kind of foist these big narratives on us anymore. They just fall apart because people are chit-chatting, people are like interrogating and talking and I don't believe that. And let's look deeper into this and everything just falls apart. So I'm trying to get him, but a lot of things, like I've got this through line, but a lot of things will depend on who we get and how, how well the story, you know, like with this machine green it took four months. And I probably ended up with like, of what I did is not on the screen. So I tell you the story now, but I'm partly sales pitching, you know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Wait, so you are running, or are you running a crowdfunding campaign for this film?
2: Yeah. So the good news is that we have raised the vast majority of the budget already. So the budget, uh, the minimum budget we needed to raise was $425,000 for a four-part series. The idea, by the way, is a series for like Netflix or Amazon or I can't speak to whether of course I can't speak to whether anyone will upload it to the internet. People usually do, but the idea is sometimes people do, there's nothing you can do about it. Um, But the intention is to put it on Netflix or um, HBO or something like that, which, you know, um, so you need a certain amount of, there are various things you need to do that sort of increase the budget uh, beyond what you would do if you are just putting something on YouTube. Um, and we raised most of that from Bitcoiners. Um, and that's, that so that's, that we're, we're like 90, 85, 90% of the way there. And the remainder, I'm trying to raise through crowdfunding. And so we've put a budget of like, I think it's a hundred and something thousand dollars in, in sats. I forget the exact number. And I think that, that's 35% raised now. So if that's a tally coin so yeah. if you if you go on tallycoin which is incidentally the infrastructure that's being used by the truckers now as well um so if you go on tallycoin and search for trust um or i guess you guys have got show notes so maybe you can append it in the yeah, show yeah
0: yeah all of the links will definitely be in the show notes and then
2: yeah any any donations uh, would be would be really warmly received there are goodies as well so if you go on trust.film uh, there's various goodies you can get if you're interested. So far, most Bitcoiners donated have not registered for goodies, but there are cool things like posters and sign posters and all kinds of stuff you can get if you if you want them. Um, and, yeah, and so the important thing is, like, because crowdfunding any project can go brutally wrong. A lot of them never get made, Um We all know about the Indiegogo failures. There's an entire subreddit dedicated to shitty Indiegogo (laughs) projects, which I love. Uh, But the the good thing is that it's almost certain we will make this film. It is not almost certain that it'll go on Netflix, but we've raised the vast majority of the budget. So you're not donating to an orphan, you know, to a film that won't get made. Um, Right on. Is there
0: a goal or is there um, a deadline of sorts or... Uh, How does that work? Yeah, I don't
2: want to introduce artificial peril, but really we should be trying to sort of finish fundraising. <laughs> I mean, look, there's different visions of this. I would prefer to raise all the money to, to complete the 425000 which would mean raising another 50000 uh before right. I start shooting. Uh, other people would be happy for, you know, there there are other members of the producing group who would be happy for me to start before we do that and i have started like we've got there's me and another writer who was writing this machine greens with me we've already started writing so you know we're already coming across things like that american constitution idea just came up the other day, and I was immediately like, "Oh, mm, this, this this could be good." Yeah, I like this, and that. So that's that. That's the next stage. Is that just like reading, 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 and listening to all these right. goddamn think boys who just make so many texts that I've got to like <laughs> absorb, um, and uh, and then trying to like try arguments out on people to see who, if if people think it sounds sounds good, and then we're and then we're ready to start interviewing people.
0: Right on. I love that word, artificial peril. I'd never heard of it before, but that is so true. When you put a deadline on things and you want people to, oh, well, uh, I, like I just made it up. task. Yeah, I just made oh. it up. It was,
2: it's because in script writing, you know, if you're writing fiction, peril is really yeah. important, right? You you got to right. put a, you have to put a character. Well, one of the things you can do is put a character in peril to make the reader, you know, more excited. And so I thought, yeah, I'd I'm, I'm, be lying if I said we're in peril. We're in a good spot, but but look, you know, every every Satoshi that we get donated will end up on screen. We're not like fat cats. We're not, you know, this money is not going to end up being frittered away. It's like we need it. It will get on the screen, and the more donations we get, the better chance we have of making a thing, which look thing is without being really arrogant about it still this film actually did move the needle a little bit with the discussion of yes. of, of piracy like for a moment there it was like Arr! like they had their story and we managed to like move it in the other direction and you could feel it happening and I think we can do the same thing again and so it's like you contribute you'd be contributing something that at least has the potential to push more people towards what we're trying to do as a community. Right. And that, so I think there is a reason. And the final thing I want to say about it is like, it doesn't matter how you don't have to be like, you don't have to put in tons of money. Every, everything is warmly accepted. You know, the donations right. for this machine greens was like, I think it was like 460 people donated and it was all different, uh, you know, and it just makes making a film like delightful. Cause you know, you've got all these people, who are rooting for you. And it's just very cool. So right. yeah.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. Well, thanks for sharing that. We will definitely add all of the links in the show notes. Um, and, you know, if people want to get in touch with you, see how they can even help um, contribute to the film in other ways or other projects that you're working on, how can they get in touch with you?
2: Uh, yeah, there's info at film. Uh, okay. if you're interested in trust and if you want to, you know, there's... So far, Trust is a very small team. And so if there's something you would like to contribute, I can't guarantee that people will get, like, roles on film production. Um, right. some of the skills are quite specialized. Uh, and it's right. going to be less scrappy than this Machine Greens, where it was like everybody can, you know, do something. <laughs> um, but there's probably stuff to do, stuff that can be done. And, you've, and just uh, talking about the ideas. So you're more than welcome to email me uh, there. Um, there isn't yet a Discord for Trust, uh, but there will be a Twitter, which is going up soon, which is TrustDoc, at TrustDoc. So you can go okay. follow that. And then if there's a Discord and whatnot, I'll post it up there. Um, so that's it. You've got the TallyCoin, info at Trust.Film, at TrustDoc on Twitter. And uh, that's that's all I can think of from now.
0: All right. Well, all of those will definitely be in the show notes. Super. Well, Jamie, thank you so much for your time. Yeah,
1: thank you th- so, so much.
0: <laughs> this has been such an insightful and uh, like a thought provoking discussion, not only for us, but I also bet it would be for our audience because of all of the the different perspectives and discussion points you brought to us discussing not They're only novel. Bitcoin, but also um, also trust in institutions. So we're really, really thankful and grateful for your time today.
2: Oh, yeah, no, same. It was great. I really enjoyed it. I hope it wasn't too many tangents. If the tangents had some value in them, then that's, that's good. Cause...
1: I imagine they did. I yeah. think they did. I got okay. some value out of them at least. Okay.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it, it kind of uh, someone, you know, following the way that uh, our brains collectively are producing information that will ultimately help them um, produce more information later. So I think that I love tangents uh, myself, because yeah. I think they're necessary in a conversation.
2: Yeah, and that's sort of like, that's how you go along, collecting all these little little thoughts on things. And it's only, at least when I'm in conversation, that I think of mentioning them. So in a way, it surfaces things that have been, you know, just under the threshold of awareness. So in some way, I'm not sure I've said a lot of these things before. Anyway, look, I really appreciate your, your time. It's great to meet you both. And- Yeah, it's good to meet you too. Thanks for having me on for sure and enjoy your time in mexico thank you very much and uh, yeah um, i'm gonna so i guess you guys are in charge of stopping it
0: yes okay. uh for everybody listening stay tuned